This is Wellness Conversation Podcast. The information shared on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a certified wellness professional. And now here's Madoni Njogu, MFT trained relational and sex therapist with today's episode. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Wellness Conversations Podcast. My name is Modani Njogu, and in studio we have, I don't know how to call you. Do I call you Dr. Mushiri or do I call you Mushiri? Uh, so let me just start off by introducing his name is Dr. Mushiri and he's going to tell us a little bit about himself. Welcome. Thank you, Modani. Uh, Mushiri is my name, specifically Mushiri Karega. Uh, sometimes people call me Dr. Moshiri. That's because I... He's a doctor. Yeah. In psychology. <laughs> uh, but specifically, my specialization is marriage and family. Oh, okay. This is interesting because, first of all, I always call Dr. Karega. I always call him Dr. Moshiri. So I'm glad you <laughs> shared both of your names. Um, so for folks who are wondering who Dr. Karega is or Dr. Mushiri. Um, Could you share with us who you are, what you do? Well, I am a psychologist, like I said, uh, with a specialization in marital and family therapy. I currently uh, do do more teaching therapy because I am also in academia. I head the Department of Psychology at the University. But I do do therapy, not as much as I used to or want to, but that should change in the near future. Probably a few months down the road, I will be spending more time privately. Great. Now, one of the things that we um, decided about this Wellness Conversations podcast is to have a plethora of different guests who come in and discuss your wellness practice. Now, that can be as varied as what we had last week with uh, Kathy Holden, or now we have Dr. Karega, who is a therapist and is also in academia. So this is really going to be a fun episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to try to be serious, but I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how that's going to work out. So, okay, so let's 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 first deal with the with 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 the academic part. Um, a lot of people are not familiar with the field of psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, so, would you explore that with us? What the field of psychology is? Well, <clears throat> in summary. It's um, psychology is a science of behavior. Uh, to be more specific, human and animal. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Although in this part of the world, we focus more on humans. Right. Uh, because we are not as big in research as other parts of the world. Uh, so what we deal with is behavior, cognition, emotion. Uh, and of course, there are different branches of psychology. Like I said, mining, marital and family therapy. And what that deals with is uh, relationships. So we work on relational <clears throat> study relational dynamics, and then help people who perhaps are struggling with unhealthy relational dynamics. So there's models, techniques, theories on how to fix 
to use Lehman's language, how to fix uh, relational dynamics in order to ensure psychological health. That is like so big. So we're gonna try. <laughs> so I could break gonna, it down. Yes, could you could you break it down? Okay. okay. So relational dynamics uh-huh. simply speaks to the way in which we function in relationship with others. Yeah. So, so if you think about the human being as a system, uh huh, we are. It is a system actually. Yes. So yeah, you are a system. I am a system. Right. We're made up of systems. Yes. Yes. Reproductive, circulatory. You know our body systems right yes then there's modoni and then there's moshiri right each of us come from a family yes but family is constituted of people right okay yes collectively that family is a system yes of humans who are related by blood and sometimes just by choice Mm-hmm. Okay, then the family exists in a broader system right. of community, society. And right. Now, in this family dynamic, whether you think of it as parents and children, as a man and a partner, or spouse and partner and the likes, the way in which we relate can either help and improve and support what we'd call good functioning mm-hmm. yes. or the way in which we relate with each other right. can actually harm our functioning on a psychological level. It can harm <clears throat> behavioral, emotional and cognitive functioning of ourselves. Okay, right. Yes. Okay, so <clears throat> now I'm curious, how did you get into the field of psychology? And like in a very like if you had like a hundred words <laughs> like how do you get into psychology dr mushiri so i don't have that story that gets written in some magazine that's inspirational no 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 because what happened was straight out of school i didn't know what i wanted to do and then the father put pressure on me is like find something to study mm-hmm. so then I went to USIU what can I study with my math grade hey, mm-hmm. mathematics mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it just so happened that I could study psychology and then I enrolled so my entry into psychology was as a result of pressure from the old man right yes 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 to find a program of study to get into that was it that was it oh. and then now when i enrolled uh-huh. i found that i actually enjoyed psychology so later what happened for me is i began to understand because i put language to it and the language i have put with regard to myself and my relationship with psychology that i actually enjoy getting to know how people make sense of their work ah yes Yes, that, that makes a lot of sense. So it was a, I think I ended up in the right place. Happens that in retrospect. Yes. In retrospect. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, just as you're talking about about relationships within the context of systems. Yes. I was thinking about um, about how it is nowadays when you open any any radio station 
um, usually in the morning hours and the evening <clears throat> hours where they have the replays mm -hmm. where people call in and it's always this issues about relationships mm -hmm. and the presenter always offers this <laughs> I don't know whether you call it unsolicited advice mm -hmm. or um, or some therapy I, I it always sort of baffles me um, that this is what's going on yet I understand that people need an outlet yes so what are your thoughts about people who call in and spill about what's going on in their relationships and and you know and the presenter will you know piggyback on that and there's always like a wing person who's sort of acting that out what are your thoughts well so uh, <clears throat> probably just two or three things about that firstly the fact that people there are people who call yeah into radio stations to talk about themselves and that there is this huge audience uh-huh that tunes in right means that there is a need people have a need to solve some of their challenges right okay yes and then radio has then some stations have then decided we can actually profit off this. Mm -hmm. partly because if it bleeds, it leads. Like, you know, <laughs> it's uh, so true. a juicy story <laughs> is a fun story. So I like to right. tell students, for example, when uh -huh. I, I'm teaching, that, you know, bad stuff sells. Yes, that, yeah. is, that is unfortunately the truth. Yeah, so there are many healthy relationships, marriages and other kinds of relationships in our country. A lot of the time they don't make headlines because you know you Samodoni is married to this guy and they have a nice relationship and then perhaps we'll have two children and a cat. <laughs> they'll never strangle each other, they'll Right, yes, yes. Do all the nice things and then they'll raise good citizens and that is true. go on. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's now switch. So Bodoni was Married to this dude or dated this crazy guy who uh -huh. like ran up a credit card and then <laughs> took her subcompact car, drove it down to the coast. I left it there. Right. Then I just eloped with another woman. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So the crazier story makes news. That is true. But back to what I was saying initially. Yeah. It, it's also a sign that people need an outlet the people who are craving help and support and then the other aspect to it is that so so those of us who then do this professional work also recognize that seeking formal help is also highly stigmatized in our society especially psychological help and so that takes us back to the stigma around mental illness that is true that's, but what I'm finding for me, if I was to compare the last seven years and now, it feels like there's a shift. Maybe maybe because of the clients that I see mm -hmm. are people under 35. Maybe maybe that's what it is. Yeah. But there's, there's uh, for my experience, there is, regarding with the people that I see, is there's um, a willingness to look for help, to look for professional competent help 
I don't know if that's that is what you're experiencing in the field of academia and and even when you're seeing your clients. Well, look, I would agree with you, <clears throat> and that's I, I guess there are a few reasons, and one of which is there's just more information. Yeah, that is true. You know about yeah. mental health and mental illness. Then more people are getting to understand what psychology is. We, for example, at the university have many more students taking psychology. Oh, wow. That's oh, yeah. amazing. Oh, yeah. And you meet students who say, you know, from when I was in high school, I just wanted to do psychology and I'm here to do psychology. Mm-hmm. We do have students transferring from other programs. To come and do psychology? Correct. I mean, even in the pure sciences, come do psychology. And for a number of them, you know, they have these struggles with the family. They don't want me to study. Parents say, I should study this. It's bad. I want to study psychology. So there's that. <clears throat> I think there's there's more conversation around mental health and illness than in the media. Mm-hmm. That is true. Uh, yes. And so there's more acceptability of what we know as formal health. I will also add that part of what we are seeing with regard to mental illness and also the increasing um, awareness and acceptability for formal health relates to just the shift in our lives. So more of us are living in towns and cities, which means that a lot of the more communal lifestyle is wearing off. There's more stress, there's more pressure. And so you find that more people are needing support. Mm-hmm. And, we, you know, we are increasingly moving in the way of the West. Now you find that people are paying therapy and like decades back <laughs> you know a lot of that support would be given to you but then the family or the right community. that's true and there are obviously fewer stressors because you know they want all these huge cities all this pressure to make ends meet or live up to certain standards wow i mean that's absolutely true i remember when i started my program <laughs> We didn't know what in the nineties. I will not say when, okay. <laughs> when I started. Okay, it's before, right. <laughs> before I went to, um, we both are alumni of the same university. Yes, yes. So prior to that, I remember when I started this my my journey to psychology. Um, I got a lot of slack because they were like, "What are you going to do with it? What mm-hmm. is it? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. What is it? What are you going to do with it? Will you make money out of it? That those were the, like the three core things." Mm-hmm. And now when I think about it, this is what, 20, wait, maybe 20, 25 years later, yeah. there's, there's, it's, it's a lot more recognized. And what I find is really cool, which is I have to say kudos to, to the churches, especially traditional churches. Mm-hmm. They are understanding the need for offering psychosocial support to their congregation. Correct. And so you're finding that there is you come to a church for spiritual and communal nourishment and then they have a trained uh, person Mm -hmm. who then supports them for psychosocial needs Mm -hmm. and then also what i'm learning is that even in the clergy they are required to have basic counseling skills Mm -hmm. that's like standard yes now now whether that is replicated in other faiths <laughs> we, you know, yes. <laughs> in some faces I shall not name their names, mm-hmm. but Muslims, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we are where we are still, there's still a lot of resistance yes. 
in in offering psychosocial support mm-hmm. for for their congregation. It, it's still a lot of stigma, but but I hope that as more people are are, are celebrating the results that they've had with competent psychosocial support that the leadership will be a lot more open to that you know yeah and i agree with you and i hope the same and i think one of the things we need to understand as a society is that there's nothing wrong with mixing it up right so Uh mix the science and the religious or the spiritual there's actually nothing wrong so i'm not like the most conservative person with regard to religion. Okay. At the same time, I, I, again, even when I teach, I tell people that even those of you that are spiritually inclined, I challenge you to think about the gods, God that you serve. You know, if God made these beautiful beings with such high-powered brains, you know, God gave us the capacity to think scientifically to solve problems. So sometimes we get into this fight of what should and shouldn't be with Mm -hmm. regard to the mix between spirituality and science. And I just, I personally find it really ridiculous. Oh, so we talk about like having a mixtape. Yes, exactly. I am. And and that's why I just back to the churches. Right, yeah. You know, as as they open up more, and for example, in our postgraduate programs, we see more pastors and priests. Yeah coming in to study counseling and I affirm them and actually at some point when teaching some of them will admit and say knowing what I know now I realize how I have damaged a lot of the people who came to see me because they didn't apply science what they applied was value judgment you know somebody came in with a problem and it was you know running low on faith mm-hmm. go fix your faith Yeah. you know and maybe it was a depression issue yeah. So telling somebody, you know, to see a psychiatrist or see a medical doctor for a certain problem or go for a financial literacy class doesn't mean you're any less of a religious leader. You're still serving your flock and you're still doing God's work because, again, I make the argument that God wants to see people prosper. That is true. Yes. That that I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. Um so one of the things I have taken a keen interest is your work on loss and grief. Mm-hmm. Um I find that we personally and also through the work that I do in supporting individuals we grapple with the idea of existential crisis. Like who am I in the face of this devastating loss? Mm-hmm. And the question is always, so how do I integrate my new me, knowing what I know, experiencing what I've experienced? Mm-hmm. So what has your work been specific about loss and grief? You could just discuss that yeah. uh, for folks who are wondering, what is loss and grief? <laughs> well, so maybe just yeah. a bit of history. Yes. <clears throat> I got trained in loss and grief because in my master's program, my practicum was in a hospice. So I had to undergo all this really serious training, loss, how to support people and loss. And through that, I learned a few things. Like? So, loss means different things to different people. And one of the things that's really hard about 
loss and grief, you know, where we feel like there's something that has been taken away from us, is that um, society dictates the value we should attach to different things in our lives. Mm-hmm. So that if you experience a certain loss, so I'll give you an example, an example I use when teaching. So Modani's kitten gets stolen. Okay. And Modani lives in, I don't know, let's just say, Buruburu. Mm-hmm. And then Modani is devastated. You're devastated because That's he came home from work on Wednesday and the kitten is gone and there's no evidence of it anyway. Oh my god, that's just terrible. Well, yes. So, a very individual experience mm-hmm. to you. Yes. The broader society has a certain engagement or relationship with pets. Mm-hmm. And so then you go out and say, well, so I'm devastated because I lost my kitten. Social construction says, I mean, if most guys you spend time with, don't even own a pet they're like oh it's just a kitten yeah in fact here is another one yeah here's another one <laughs> to replace your kitten right they just popped a bunch of kittens I can right. just go snatch up one and give it to you <laughs> right yes yes, yes. Right. so when it comes to loss and grief and you see grief is that personal individual experience after our loss and like mourning because mourning now is there social or communal yes. expression of, yes. Yes. of now the loss. Right, yeah. yeah. It is so individualized, yet what happens, like I said, you know, in societies across the globe, your individualized experience is happening in the context of social construction. That is true. So there yes. are all these scripts that are telling you feel a certain way or don't feel a certain And so I give examples of how then that affects people differently differently right yes. i mean and and you know just using the example about the kitten i mean we africans the idea of having domesticated pets yes like it's that i mean what yeah why are you upset about a cat <laughs> we have other bigger things Correct. To, to to think about yes right the economy is in shambles there was this terrorist act and your school fees typhoid flooding landslides right and you're crying about a kitten <laughs> How is that? Yes. So. So there you go. Yeah. And so now when you think yeah. about it in different forms and now with different experiences. And uh, one of the things I talk about just to explain briefly is what is called disenfranchised grief. So that's the grief that's not socially supported. Mm, yeah. So an example would be say you lose a body part. So for women, for example, you undergo a hysterectomy. Most people in your life cannot relate to the hysterectomy. Yeah. Okay, let's just start with the men. There's no, there's no context. Yeah. There's so no context. I, yeah. My uterus was taken out by a doctor. I mean, you're just here <laughs> doing your thing without losing kittens. Okay. Right. Yes. Majority of the women you engage with probably have not had that experience. Right. So yeah. you're grieving something that society does not support socially. And and when that is not acknowledged, many times we struggle with our healing process. Hmm. Right. And there are many other examples which we won't go into, but that's just an example of why 
um, loss, doing work in loss and grief for me is uh, something I hold really dear to me. Once I understood the science, and psychology, the experiences people have, and the importance of supporting people in their losses so that they heal effectively. I like that word, heal effectively. Because or healthily. Yeah. Actually, healthily is a better Healthily, yeah. because you really can't heal effectively. Yes, it's healthy healing, actually. <laughs> and I think, you know, we always say that healing is not a linear process. No, it's not. So what we hope is that we, that folks get to a place where they're not overwhelmed by their loss. Or not numbing it. Or not ashamed of their loss. You know, you're not beating yourself about your losses. I mean, you think about it. Uh, many of us struggle with certain losses. Why? Because of shame. And many losses then get shamed in our loss experiences, ashamed and invalidated. Right, because, and, and the thing is, is, there is no hierarchy to suffering, but we have been conditioned correct to feel that one loss is bigger than another right correct. yes and so our losses are consistently invalidated and many times it's not that people are being nasty we just there's ignorance and there's a lot of value judgment a lot of value judgment so you'll hear things like uh, now back to lack of knowledge ignorance you know uh, your somebody in your life died six months a year down the road it's still something you are struggling with you're still in your healing process so perhaps you're talking about it or every now and then you're expressing you know your you're emotive about it you're emotive you're crying you're even cognitive sometimes right. yes and yes. then what do you hear uh, you know you're taking too long to breathe ah yes yes why are you taking too long? You know, life happened. Let's move on. Let, oh, you know, right right there. In fact, I really want, I really want to like sort of put a pin on that when yeah. you said, you know, move on. Because yes. in our political environment, yes. in the last two general elections, yes. the overtone has been, you know, we just need to move on. Uh-huh. And for me, what I have felt is people haven't moved on. People are still stuck collectively and individually within certain contexts uh-huh. but we we lack is it that we lack a, an um a recognition or a language to define loss i think so i think many people don't even know that they're in a state of grief i also think that one of the challenges we face and this might rub many people the wrong way so we should put a disclaimer. Yes. <laughs> okay, here's our disclaimer. Yes, is <laughs> the whole concept of closure. And I'm really careful about what we call closure. And so closure came up at some point. American inform, you know. Things happen and then you should get to a point where you, I don't know, put the thing in a box and then put it away and then move on. I got to learn, or I have learned over the years that with losses we learn to live with them right we don't move on from many losses there are some losses you move on from okay so i have a smartphone and i'm you know i'm 
cruising to work or geshagi na matatu and then some really sleek pickpockets come and you know <laughs> steal my phone yeah i'll grieve the loss eh? yes. i've lost documents i've lost contacts and the likes but if you're going to use move on in whatever way you define it so yeah i'll move on but then a loved one dies you don't move on from the death of a loved one you don't move on from a traumatic experience like i don't know rape you know you don't move on when your country goes into post election violence and this looting and plundering naming and killing you learn to live with the loss because there are things that are irreplaceable and you can't have your chose topped off in topped off in an accident and you're supposed to move on from that no yeah so what i spend more time engaging both clients and just people in my life in a discussion around how do we learn to live with loss right because we the nature of loss is like i said you don't wake up one day and and okay so now i'm done with this and let me live even model i talk about how we swing back and forth. yes yes so if we spent if our languaging shifted to learning to live with loss and again in the healthiest rather in healthy ways where you're not you're not harming yourself you know you're not in self destructive ways then i think we'd generally be happier people mm. are more happier individuals moving around the world and spreading happiness and positive energy <laughs> affecting each other positive energy <laughs> what rainbows and unicorns Such but, <laughs> but I, i i think I, th- i think number one is really recognizing that first of all loss is is relative Jesus. right it's Jesus. relative and 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 i think we we we, we have bought into the idea of closure uh-huh. because like for instance my father passed on um, 26 years ago uh-huh. and some days it feels like it happened yesterday Yep. The acute sense of loss is heartbreaking. Correct. So, can, can I say that um that I'm not grieving for my father? Well, that's a good question. I'd actually hit you with a question. Ah. Uh, What's wrong with grieving? The loss I, of your father. I think because like what you said that that be there is a timeline. There is is idea of a timeline. Right. That you know, you start, you go in the beginning and then you end and then mm-hmm. it's closed into a nice little box mm-hmm. with a ribbon mm-hmm. and it's pushed somewhere. And sometimes you can look into the box but not too long. You know. Yes. Yeah. And so some listeners will be thinking, "No, but must I stew in my grief forever?" What I like to say is we with loss like with many other things, we don't have to be dichotomous about it. not you either grieving or you're not grieving. Ah. You understand? And that's one of the problems, challenges that we face in this life, especially with loss and grief, where we've dichotomized things. It's not a zero sum. Thank you. It's not a zero sum. Yes. It's not an either or. It's not an either or. But I I think Dr. Mishiri that the challenge for a lot of people is how to live the middle, the middle path, you know? You're too you're not too But there's no middle path. really now so Buddhists would say they're no striving for the middle path in my view there's no middle path <laughs> so what path is there what path is there well it's so it's an to me it's an 
So first, overcoming loss is ugly. That's what I think. Of course, the most significant it is for somebody ugly, right? Because there isn't any design. I know, you know, many many people in my field are about the stage. Yes, the five stages of grief. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> in this country, there's so much stages of grief work going on. Is there? Well, just uh, many people are like super sold into stages of. Ah, I feel like this is that. Yeah, and then then yeah. we hit acceptance, and then now, we are fine. <laughs> now you're in cruise control. Yes. Right? So then yeah. what happens is that you even have practitioners who are just trying to get you to hit this acceptance space. What I spend more time and energy focused on, again, can you process and heal in the healthiest way possible? So first, can we? Are you able to understand what's happening for you? Can we increase awareness of what's going on inside of you? And sometimes awareness is tied to education, because when people experience loss and are grieving, they go through some serious shifts: cognitive, social, yes. spiritual, emotional. You know. Yes. A whole bunch of stuff. Yes, and physiologically as well. Correct. Yes. And so part yes. of what I'm doing is educating people so for example you have people who say you know my my sister died a few months ago and i could swear the other day in town i was walking and i saw her oh my goodness yes and 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 i told that to somebody else and they told me you still haven't found closure or hallucinating <laughs> no it happens yes oh my goodness can i just say that well, you know that example yes and i i haven't shared with this this with you before yeah. last last year of the year before mm-hmm. i swear i thought i saw my dad mm-hmm. this is like 20 something years later yeah. i thought i saw him mm-hmm. walking into a building mm-hmm. and i actually for a moment mm-hmm. i walked i walked into that same building hoping to find him now yes that's a common reaction now let's let's make it even more interesting mm-hmm. Then you also have people beating themselves because of common grief reactions. So another example would be, let's go back to your dad. You start forgetting his voice. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, that. Or if you are his spouse, so your mom starts forgetting how he smells. Yes. Then now start beating yourself. Oh my God, I'm forgetting how my dad's voice said. How can I? And that's part of what makes grief so interesting and sometimes so tricky to navigate yeah. because there's a yeah. whole bunch of things coming at you. But the underlying thing is in all that, what you need is affirmation and validation. Do not need to keep being shamed. But sometimes what we do then is we compound the loss with shame. And then it becomes something other than the loss correct because then we are focusing on the yucky icky feelings that are rising yes so i have people saying you know mm. I, I went through this but i i don't want to be seen to be crying cry there's nothing wrong with crying cry sometimes it does happen in my office like we have conversations with people and then they want to cry and then they're stopping themselves my question is look like you 
do well with a good price so what's happening right now oh well you know i just there's no shame right let it out i think it's because of that that expressed vulnerability that many of us have it has been conditioned that it's not a safe thing to be vulnerable oh yeah you can say that a few more times <laughs> we are socialized not to be vulnerable yes yes true yes we yes. are yeah and sometimes it's worse for us oh my goodness that is what i was actually going to segue to yeah yeah they, yeah yeah like wow wow what i slide into you're <laughs> <laughs> getting into a dm that has been that has been for me the the biggest the biggest First of all, it's been very humbling mm-hmm. because I didn't even realize that I, as a practitioner, I was holding onto some of these core ideas about the ways that men grieve. Mm-hmm. So first, there was that complete um, disruption of that held narrative, mm-hmm. and then the second part has been being incredibly uh, humbled by folks showing their vulnerability. You know, th- that sometimes can be very huh, startling, yeah. right? Like. What? <laughs> like okay, yeah. you're crying now. <laughs> I don't know what to do. And then and then for me, the bad part of it is a, a deep sense of awe mm-hmm. has been when male clients get to that point of recognizing that loss happened to them. It was heartbreaking loss. Yes. But they survived mm-hmm. and somehow that loss has defined them in a way that now makes sense you see for me that that is that recognition and i think now that we i sort of segued into men my other favorite topic <laughs> is is do you do you work with a lot of men okay so n- not formally but i do talk to men Oh wow! What yeah. you just talked to me? I mean, like that sounds I find, like I find myself talking to dudes. <laughs> but yeah. like I said, I, I haven't been as active in therapy, right? As, yeah, yeah, because of my administrative work. Uh-huh. But I do get myself talking to men, and just hearing some of what it is that they're going through, and seeing struggles with vulnerability. Like, not that women don't have those struggles, but I think. Many of us are really struggling. I think so. I and 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 for me, when when I have clients who want me to refer them to a male therapist, mm-hmm. I always like. I have to think long and hard. So I think it would be good for you to sort of come back to this. Well, that's a plan. <laughs> you know, that's a plan. because because I, you know, being being a a, a therapist in a in a female form, mm-hmm. there, there's some parts that I can I can get. And there are parts that I wouldn't. True. You know. True. Yeah, yeah. Although I have learned being, 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 um, uh, I have to be very specific because um, being a, a veiled Muslim woman. Yes. Um, there is some level of comfort I have found that my clients, my male clients, my clients. yes, okay. they sort of respond to that. Okay. Uh, maybe there's a safety in it. I, I don't know. It's the most interesting thing. Interesting. Yeah, very, yeah. very, very, and able to explore very difficult topics. Yeah. yeah. Almost like there's no sense of 
it's almost like maybe maybe there's a resemblance of the mother archetype <laughs> you know i'm covered in these big clothes uh-huh. <laughs> it's you know i should ask them but if it works for them it does that's a good thing. it does it really it really does because yeah. we need yeah. more spaces where men can be vulnerable uh, and, and you have to remember that a lot of how we operate was it was just scripted into us when we were really young. that's true yeah, yeah. so i have a son you know, preschool guy. He's going to be six next January next year. Uh-huh. And I've actually caught myself pushing back against women. And, I, and it's something I talk about even in my classes. Pushing back against women in his life who are already, you know, messaging the guy. You're a big boy, don't cry. Mm, yeah. You're a brave boy why are you scared yeah you know and and sometimes i have to say uh-uh it's okay for him to be scared it's all right now i i didn't know that that was going anywhere with him and i remember one night i was putting him to bed and we had i don't know what we were discussing i said something to the effect that you know you know, you know you're a little man and he said i'm not a man i'm a boy Ah. That's what he said. He said, I'm not a man, I'm a boy. And initially, you know, I found myself arguing. I was like, no, we... then I said, actually, you know, you're right. You are a boy. And so what we need to do with you is to treat you like a boy until you become a man. Mm-hmm. Then now we start putting now male expect man manly expectations on you. But what I found is that we already helping him or pushing him to dissociate when he's fighting. Oh, wow. Why are you scared? Stop crying. I'm like, no, let's stop telling the five-year-old to stop crying. So what I try and do is now ask him, tell me why you're crying. Tell me why you're crying. What, what are you feeling? So what I tend to ask him is what he's feeling. Mm-hmm. Because I also want him to develop some emotional intelligence. Ah, yes. Yes, because then what you find is with many of us adult males, a significant chunk of the male population in our country and in any other country, actually globally, are unable to language what they're feeling. I feel the I feel statements. Yeah. I feel, yes. So like I say in class, you ask many men, how do you feel? They say bad. What, what does bad mean? And I, and I argue. I argue that some of the struggles we're seeing with men in their family context is just emotion that they lack the resources to process. Oh yeah, that is that it. That, that. Because the only sort of emotion, quote unquote, that is allowed to many men is usually acts of aggression. Correct. That's like the only thing. Yes. It's the only thing. Yeah. So when I get angry, Socially, and not just from men, even from women. Yes. Yeah. Now, yes. now, now you're a now you're a guy. Yeah. Now at least we can see. So, so many men feel powerless. That guy needs to gain power in a relationship. And the only way to do that is to be aggressive. And you know, in fact, I don't know if we ever had this, um, whereby many women would say, "I know he loves me because he hits me." Because a man who loves you will be physically aggressive with you. 
Yes, again, you know, then yeah. that, that also speaks to what was the scripting for the women. Right, yeah. Yes. But many of us guys, and now, so there are those of us who are hitting, there are those of us who aren't hitting, they're using drugs. Right. A few years ago now, the betting came in. That's right. So you have guys now who are numbing through betting. You have those of us who now just bury ourselves in work. I mean, there are whole chunk of women out there who they know they're loved they're supported but there's no connection with their partners because you know guys are clocking 16 hour days you know but a lot of that is dissociating it's numb and why because from when we were really young we just got this message don't be a sissy why are you crying mama's boy look at this look at that you're a tough guy tough enough, tough enough, man up. And now we are here and we are manning up and, and then there are negative consequences to that right. manning up. And actually, I will argue that even politically, a lot of what we see with our leadership, because a lot of our leadership is male, is this need to man up. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and could it be, now that we're talking about political landscape, uh-huh. could it be that so many, many of our fellow citizens were completely enamored with when Obama would visit mm-hmm. because the idea this is a man who leads the free world mm-hmm. yet he's accessible he feels he feels accessible he's he's emotive mm-hmm. in a way that we never see men in leadership are here yes because again now culturally right what is a a male leader supposed to portray Stoicness, sternness, right? And then now we even push it further from now even being stoic to just being like super aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Moshiri comes out with an idea and then the other guy insults me and then we have this back and forth. Yeah. Which, of course, media feeds off. That is true. Because the media frame for politics is it's a game. Yeah. Yeah. They don't consume politics like for me, it's a game, so we move from one press conference to the next. So you say this, let's go back. Now you clap back. This guy claps back, and then now you <laughs> clap back to the clap back. <laughs> and then it's like a it's like a pissing contest. Correct. Yes. Actually, it is a pissing contest. And yes, then now what is. happens is yeah. that again, now you look at because now we moved into politics. In our political context, again, many women then do what feel the need to strip themselves of the femininity and acquire all these masculine traits. But what masculine traits are we seeing with many of our female political leaders? It's aggression. Oh, yeah, that is true. Yeah. They come out and they're just aggressive and it's antagonistic and the likes. And sometimes you look back, you look at them and you're like, look, I, I don't like how you're operating, but I can see why you're doing that. Yeah. Because for you to survive in this. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, you bring your nice modoni femininity to the political game and Oh, After the, like, <laughs> go nurse some babies. <laughs> this, is for, this is for the tough dudes and ladies. So, 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 so right. then you get all these interesting yeah. terms. Yeah. In yeah. the Kibaki administration, at some point, Martha Karua said to be the only man in his cabinet. Oh. Yeah. What does that mean? She's just as tough as Yeah, she's is. tough. So yeah. Martha, what what did we like in Martha? We loved that toughness. And and when you think about it, you can call all sorts of you can just look at examples of all sorts of women politically. 
who are feeling the need to get into this antagonistic aggressive state to just survive now let's dial back it's about social construction and so one of the things that we ought to do in our little spheres of influence is begin to rewrite what it is that we are looking for males emails and the likes so i want to raise a man who is knowledgeable and aware of his emotions and is sensitive because there's nothing wrong with that there's absolutely nothing wrong with that and to help him know as he grows there's nothing wrong with that now what i keep keep hearing from people is but are you not afraid you're going to raise a sis and say no i'm not because i i can teach you assertive you see many men and even women want to be assertive but we have mixed it up we don't know the difference between us difference between assertiveness and just being aggressive that is or being crass correct they're, they're like two completely different correct yeah. so at the university you know you look at student behavior for example just to use student behavior as an example so we have grievances against the administration as opposed to being assertive we quickly move from you know i don't feel nice to aggressive so we are destroying things we are tearing things down i mean look at our demonstrations in kenya yeah there's always someone there's always some tearing down of stuff like <laughs> yes we have a propensity to destroy propensity to destroy Now, yeah i believe that that missing link between i'm feeling a certain way and assertiveness or shooting straight to aggression is because of a lack of awareness of what's going on inside of you so could we teach people to be more aware of their own processes our children could we just raise them more awareness can we begin to shift the script it will never be perfect i make mistakes as a parent you know the guy will turn out how he turns out this is just me trying to influence but it's his own personality but to the extent that i can part of what i'll do is train or try and just script my son can we figure out can you figure out what's happening and then do you understand that you actually are in charge of how you feel i like that part yes. you're actually in charge about how you feel correct because with insight comes responsibility yeah right and if you lack insight then you're completely irresponsible to first your inner landscape correct ah okay that yeah. makes a lot of sense yes and, and in this yeah. wellness conversation one of the things i find myself practicing and challenging people to do whether it's in therapy whether it's with colleagues whether it's teaching is actually the idea that you actually are in charge of your processes internal processes you have choice as to how you feel and think but we don't think we do because we have been taught that anything happens is happening is outside of us correct and so we only infer to what's outside of us first to make sense mm-hmm. and then to act according to what's inside correct yeah, yeah. so so you know yeah. i was the guy years back would be like oh that matatu driver messed my day now my day was spoiled so it's 7 p.m and i'm saying you know at 9 a.m today this guy cut me off and he messed my day and over time i've learned no i chose to take that to allow an experience okay i chose 
to allow an experience to get me into a certain state. And I actually, just to use different language, I handed my power over to that experience. Yeah. Yes. So part of what I am speaking to people about with regard to wellness is number one, you're in charge of your process. And then that being in charge needs awareness. And more recently, what I've begun to talk about more is awareness of the internal dialogue. What conversation are you having with yourself about what's going on within you and around you? Because you know what, Mudoni? This life is about the meaning we attach to you. That is true. Yes. So what meaning am I attaching to you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. What meaning am I attaching? So before we met, actually yesterday, uh-huh. There's a fire I was fighting. I tried to solve a certain issue with units and registration in the university. And when I went to the office to solve it, I realized I gave a certain office information in July. They realized what was wrong with the information I gave them, but did not get back to me. Now we have students who can't do certain processes because this office did not alert my office about a certain anomaly. In the moment when we went into the system and we figured this thing out, and I'm in the office with the people whom I wrote to in July and said, please take care of this. And this person looks at me casually and says, oh, actually, we can't fix this because these things are not in the system. At that very moment, I felt myself getting really really upset. I was actually angry. I was frustrated. And what did I start telling myself? my head, I was like, you cannot be serious. You cannot have known this in July. And we're in the end of October and you didn't say anything. So that's how I felt. And then I actually told myself, okay, so Moshiri, what happens here? Because you can either now start blowing up, have a nasty evening, or get up, begin to fix the problem and then come back tomorrow when the things that I need to be sorted are in the system and we can sort them out and that's what I elected to do now to be honest more than only part of me when I was leaving that office felt like and these guys are getting off too easy right yeah yes. I made them like man these guys are getting <laughs> off too easy right these yeah. guys need a piece of my mind then I asked myself but why do they need a piece of do I do they need a piece of my mind while I'm angry? So I said, actually, what I do, I'll fix this. When I come tomorrow, we're going to have a conversation about it. And I'm not angry. But what am I explaining? It was myself being aware of my internal dialogue. Just telling myself, look, you can either be super frustrated or you can have a good evening. And I went home and I had a good evening. Because the meaning I attached to those events was, you know, while we're in crisis, I'm not going to let this thing put me down. Right. So it's something I find myself telling people these days. And which is a really great segue to the last part of uh-huh. our conversation. Yes. And we've been at this for quite a while. Uh-huh. And I feel like you'll need to come back. Um, That's fine. Yeah, we'll need to come back. Is what does wellness look to you as a wellness practitioner? That's a really good question. Because that question challenges me to think about my own state of health. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> it's easy yeah. to just like shoot off 
Wellness means you're in balance. You're meditating. <laughs> and you're eating right. Right, yeah. You're sleeping, yes. You're sleeping well. Right. And then you realize, dude, that's not what you <laughs> Right. But to me, wellness uh-huh. is being intentional about living in what I'd call a state of power. A state where you, despite what's happening around you, decide, commit and decide that you will be in a state of strength, creativity and positivity. To me, that's wellness. So what does that mean? It means that things won't work out the way you necessarily want them. But you can make tweaks here and there. All right? To achieve some of what you want. And I'll give you a personal example. For two straight years, I didn't work out. My argument was that I'm too busy to hit the gym. I like swimming. So, you know, living work, schools don't open. Most schools don't open at night. Uh, my schedule is not like I want it to be. It keeps getting messed up at work. Come for a meeting, do this, attend this, fill in for so and so. So I gained weight loads of it and so at one point I was listening to Tony Robbins and I keep telling people this thing Tony Robbins had a saying he said in life you don't get your shoes you get your must oh I like that yeah, yeah. so everything you say you must do you will do in life yes yes. but things you say you should do oh that is so uh, yeah, yeah. it's like really wishy-washy thank you so yeah. I, I used to say I should work out now my idea of a workout was either hitting the weights in the gym uh-huh. or swimming. So then I realized when I listened to that, I said, you know what? I must get healthy. So what did I do? I started doing 10-minute workouts. I wake up. So I wake up, drink my liter of water, hit a 10-minute high-intensity workout, shower and leave. I got healthier. That to me is wellness. I actually got healthier. I realized that I'm not getting quality sleep because of devices. So when I did my research, I found out that, you know, you should take a break from tech before you sleep. So I began taking breaks from tech. I found that I'm sleeping better, waking up earlier, and I'm more productive. Mm -hmm. Still in my struggle with weight loss, I decided, you know what, let me try this intermittent fasting. And we were talking about that today. Yes. Yes. Now, I could not conceptualize myself staying, doing, I don't know, 10, 12, 16, 20 hours of So what I began by doing was cutting snacks. So I said, I'll just eat three meals in a day, no snacks. So I began three meals in a day, no snacks. In about five, six months, I had shed 11 kilos. Wow. That's wellness. That to me is wellness because I think what messes with our idea of wellness is feeling like we don't have the power to do the things in the construct that we imagine. So my construct was fitness is the gym and the swimming. That's it, yes. But I had to shift my construct. So you see, you're either shifting your construct or you're manipulating factors to fit into that construct. Many of us think because we can't manipulate these factors to fit into the construct, then we are sunk. Wellness is sometimes, a lot of the time, shift your construct. 
and then be intentional. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Be intentional. Disrupts disrupt the narrative. Correct. Disrupt the narrative. Correct. Because then that means then you also and I think there's something that you said it's really also about being creative. Mm-hmm. By dis- I mean there's, there's something very powerful about chaos. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because in there somewhere <laughs> is 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 the spark. Correct. That you can create something. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So to me, wellness isn't some super technical thing. It's being intentional about living in a certain state. That's a state of you can call it power. You can call it creativity. You can call it fulfillment. You know, whatever you call it. Can you choose to do it? And actually follow through. And it won't be perfect. It will not be perfect. But as long as you're progressing, you're achieving certain things, you're fine. Yeah. Yes, that's wellness. That's wellness. And that's a great way to sort of end this episode. Okay. We've been at this for about an hour. Too short. <laughs> I know, it's been too short. Maybe we can do this for... <laughs> maybe this for half the day. I know. Slice them up into, um, into like bits and pieces. Six and a half yeah. episodes. I know. But yeah, I definitely, especially with the part of loss and grief. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that's something that we're very afraid to sort of touch yes. and investigate mm-hmm. and sit with, sit with the sit with the mark. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to thank you so much mm-hmm. for for participating in this episode. Um, now, for those who want to know more about you, Dr. Mushiri, um, you will be sharing us ways that people can contact you. Yes, we will be doing that. And then you can put that <laughs> on your... Oh, my description, on yeah, my show notes. Yeah, put that on your show notes. Okay, great, great. Because yes. I think, especially now that you're saying you're taking private clients, that would be great. Well, I'm resuming. Resuming. Slowly. Let's really? <laughs> just be clear. <laughs> Slowly. Uh-huh, okay. Um, but yes, I'm actually resuming. Yeah. And so I guess you can... Okay, great. Great. So, I... I this is the thing about this episode, is I always feel like, oh my goodness, there's so much time. You know, I want to talk and talk and talk. I Yeah, we definitely will look for another another episode. Um, so thank you so much for listening. Uh, we definitely will add Dr. Mushiri's information on the show notes. Mm-hmm. And, um, and remember, healing is your birthright. Until next time, enjoy the rest of your day. Bye. Bye-bye. And thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. This is Wellness Conversation Podcast. The information shared on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a certified wellness professional.